Welcome to democracyonthemove.org, a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true democratic principles. Content for this episode was recorded on Sunday, May 16, 2021. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. If you've been following this podcast lately, you'll know that I've been trying to keep up with developments related to the case of Bobby Bostick. Mr. Bostick is inmate 526795, sitting in a state prison in Jefferson City, Missouri. He has been locked up since December of 1995. His crime included 17 counts, 14 of which were felonies for robbery, using a gun during a robbery, discharging the gun and injuring his victims, kidnapping and carjacking. The fact that he was 16 years old was not taken into consideration when he was sentenced to serve 241 years without the possibility for parole until he has reached 112 years old. Now, it's ironic that had he actually killed one of his victims and therefore been sentenced to life in prison, he would actually be eligible for parole after 25 years. Now, personally, I've never been the victim of a dangerous crime, so I can't imagine the trauma that his victims have suffered. And society, I believe, has a sacred obligation to do everything possible to ensure that these things do not happen. Now, the approach has been to isolate the perpetrator from the rest of society to keep everyone else safe. The other half of society's obligation, I believe, is to correct, if possible, the behavior of the perpetrator. Now, this is why we call prisons correctional facilities. The very term corrections refers to a philosophy that emphasizes rehabilitation. Unfortunately, for the most part, our society doesn't do much in that regard. People like Mr. Bostick are thrown into prison and largely left to fend for themselves where rehabilitation is an option and not a requirement. Prisoners can just waste away the hours, the days, and the years until their eventual release. And when they are released, they are still left to fend for themselves. Now, this can be difficult because, you know, who wants to give a good job to an ex-con? They're marked for life, in a sense, and it's doubly difficult to make it when you're a marked person. Although a simple majority of released prisoners do not return to prison within five years, well, a lot of them still do. According to the Missouri Department of Corrections in a report published in March 2020, the recidivism rate for offenders, either for parole violations or new convictions, sits at around 46%. Now this, I believe, is an indication that the, quote, corrections part of our correction system could use a lot of improvement. But there are success stories. Mr. Bostick, for one, has taken it upon himself to rehabilitate. He's become a better man, not through the conscious effort by our correctional system, but by his own sheer will. Let me read you something that he wrote, where he can tell you in his own words what happened and what he has done since being incarcerated. In the end, he asks us all for a second chance, and I believe we, collectively as a society, owe him that consideration. Here it is. We all know that kids are not perfect. In fact, they are constantly making mistakes late into their adolescent years as they try to find their identity. There are some kids who succumb to the crime that is ever-present in their crime-prone neighborhoods. Bobby Bostick is one such kid. At 16 years old, he committed a terrible crime. 
On December 12, 1995, there were five people who were on a charity mission to poverty-stricken children in the poor neighborhood where he lived. Bobby and his friend decided to rob these people. During the course of this robbery, Bobby shot two men, but uh, they were not seriously injured. Neither victim required medical attention. They walked away from the crime scene and went to work the next day. Approximately 45 minutes later, and eight city blocks away, Bobby and his friend robbed another victim who was outside her car gathering gifts that she was getting ready to give to a needy family. They, uh, they robbed her gunpoint, they put her back into her vehicle, and drove her around demanding money. Thereafter, they released her and took her vehicle. They were arrested while driving her vehicle. In total, Bobby was charged with three counts of first-degree robbery, two counts of first-degree assault, three attempted robbery, eight counts of armed criminal action, and kidnapping. He also had marijuana on him, which was another felony. In January of 1997, Bobby was ready to stand trial. Already, the state had offered him a plea bargain of life with the possibility of parole. Right before his trial, he was offered an open plea bargain, which means the defendant just pleads guilty at the mercy of the court with no promises, leaving his fate in the hands of the judge to sentence him to the maximum or the minimum. The absolute minimum in this case would have been 10 years with all sentences running concurrently. The maximum would have been 13 life sentences plus 30 years. Not really understanding the serious trouble he was in, Bobby chose to go to a jury trial where he was found guilty on all charges. The jury recommended 30 years for each of the robberies, 15 years for the kidnapping, 15 years each for the shots fired during the assault, and 5 years to 15 years for the 8 armed criminal action charges. In addition, he was given another year for the marijuana possession charge. It was left up to the judge to run these sentences concurrent into a 30-year sentence or to run the sentences consecutively. The judge decided that Bobby deserved to pay the ultimate price for his crimes. She ordered that all sentences were to be served consecutive to one another. She knew that by doing this, she was essentially sentencing him to die in prison. Now take a moment to reflect on this. No one was seriously injured in this crime. Yet, the judge decided to sentence Bobby to die in prison. To sum it all up, she pronounced the following at the conclusion of the sentence hearing. You made your choice, and you're going to have to live with your choice, and you're going to die with your choice because, Bobby Bostick, you will die in the Department of Corrections. How can a 16-year-old be sentenced to 241 years in a crime where no one is seriously injured? This can't be justice. This can't be justified. Okay, Bobby deserves to be punished for what he did. But the question is, should he have to die in prison? Apparently, this is what the judge felt. Furthermore, the state of Missouri still feels this way today over 20 years later, even when the United States Supreme Court declared in 2016 that all juveniles who committed murder should not be condemned to die in prison. Well, where does this leave Bobby? He never murdered anyone, so he still is stuck with 241 years. America is a country of second chances. This country forgives its disgraced politicians who have been convicted of crimes. They even get elected into office again after serving their sentences. Murderers and rapists and child molesters all get second chances, but not Bobby Bostick. Why not? Why can't this child get a second chance? Last but not least, why didn't the judge take the element of rehabilitation into consideration when she sentenced young Bobby? 
Despite him never being able to be released from prison, Bobby decided to rehabilitate himself anyway. He gained his GED and an Associate of Arts College degree. He got a paralegal diploma as well as a business study certificate from Missouri State University. He has gotten over 40 rehabilitation and self-improvement class certificates from the Department of Corrections and outside organizations. In addition to this, he has written six nonfiction books and nine poetry books in addition to founding a book club called Rehabilitated Men Read, among numerous other things. It is worth repeating that America is a country of second chances. Missouri is a state in America. Why does Missouri not give Bobby Bostick a second chance? That's the end of Bobby's writing. So the story of Bobby Bostick doesn't end here. He has managed to get a lot of support from outside individuals, ranging from news organizations, both here in the U.S. and in the U.K., and legal help from the ACLU. Even Ken Starr, and I remember him from the investigation of Bill Clinton resulting in his impeachment. Well, Ken Starr has advocated on Mr. Bostick's behalf as well. And, ironically, the judge who sentenced Mr. Bostick says that in her many years as a judge and working on thousands of cases, Mr. Bostick's case is the one she regrets. She has advocated for Mr. Bostick's attempts to gain clemency. Most recently, the Missouri legislature has passed Senate Bill 26, which now sits on the governor's desk awaiting signature. There is a clause in this bill that states, and I quote, This act provides that any offender sentenced to a term of imprisonment amounting to 15 years or more, or multiple terms that amount to 15 years or more, who was under 18 years of age at the time of the commission of the offense, may be eligible for parole after serving 15 years of incarceration, regardless of whether the case is final for the purpose of appeal. Such person may be eligible for reconsideration hearings in accordance with the parole board regulations. Unquote. So, now, to be clear, there are other parts of this bill that I personally do not like, but, well, that's the nature of healthy legislation. You give something to get something. State Representative Nick Schroer was primarily responsible for inserting this special clause into this bill. He has been fighting for Mr. Bostick for quite some time now, and now it looks as though Mr. Bostick might have a shot at appearing before a parole board later this year. We at Democracy on the Move wish Mr. Bostick the best, and we hope to see him paroled as soon as possible. He has big plans should he get released. He's already created a business plan for a nonprofit organization dedicated to keeping young people from following in his footsteps. Now what better person to teach a good lesson in life than someone who's been there? On a slightly different note, as you may or may not know, I produce two podcasts each week. Now that keeps me pretty busy. I'm a member of a political party called the Alliance Party, and you may want to tune into their podcast that's being released in parallel to this one. The topic this time around is critical race theory, what it is, what it does, its history, and why it's become so controversial. The podcast is somewhat related to Mr. Bostick's journey as it discusses, among other things, the disproportionately high incarceration rates and sentencing times that people of color have endured in this country. It's an interesting podcast where we talk with the Alliance Party's political director, Tim Cotton. Tim's knowledge on this topic runs deep, especially its history, which goes way back, way back beyond the invention of the phrase critical race theory, and into pre-Civil War America, where people began asking questions about what it means that all men are created equal when, at the same time, 
defining slaves as three-fifths of a man. You can find the podcast on your podcast app simply by searching for the phrase Alliance Party After Dark. Again, that's Alliance Party After Dark. Next week on this podcast, we'll feature an interview with Russell Daniels, who represents an organization known as Open Primaries. Open Primaries believes that no American should be required to join a political party to exercise their right to vote. The mission of Open Primaries is to advocate for open and nonpartisan primary systems, counter efforts to impose closed primaries, educate voters and policymakers, advance litigation, train spokespeople, conduct and support research, and participate in the building of local, state, and national open primary coalitions. They provide information to the public about open and nonpartisan primaries. They engage in all sectors, including voters, policymakers, good government and civic organizations, business leaders, community activists, in order to educate, build bridges, and develop the primary reform movement. I'm really looking forward to it, so please tune in next week. This is Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true democratic principles. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any suggestions for stories and or people you think we should cover at Democracy on the Move, please contact us through the website contact page at democracyonthemove.org slash contact or send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org. You can also comment on our Twitter page at All on the Move. If you find today's podcast interesting and informative, please tell your friends and family about us. And if you'd like to help sponsor the podcast at Democracy on the Move, please contact us through the website or email. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in to our next show.